Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. A little later in the show, we're going to talk to a poet who's going to be part of the Midwest Literary Walk in downtown Chelsea later this month. Really interesting poet uh, who takes uh, a lot of uh, artwork and makes it into words uh, for her for her poetry. Winner of the National Book Award uh, as well. And then we're going to talk about gardening with lead in the soil, uh, a Michigan State University Extension educator who specializes in community food systems is going to be here to talk about what happens when the soil is what is the what's laid with lead? Uh, but first up, I want to wrap up the week's news with a good friend of mine who I've invited to the studio today. Greg Bowens is a public relations consultant, former spokesperson for Mayor Dennis Archer here in the city of Detroit, and someone I have known for I don't know 24, 25 years. Greg, welcome to Detroit today. Hell, I am so happy to be here today, especially <laughs> with the weather cooperating the way that it is. I know. Look at it; it's actually spring in Detroit. I know it's it's amazing and. Uh, so I know that people are going to start walking down the Riverwalk, you yeah. know, in earnest yes. now that the sun is out, and I can't wait to get out there and join them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's nice. It's uh, th- this is a great place to live, five or six months a year. The mm-hmm. rest of the time, I don't know, I could take it or leave it. Well, um, <laughs> what's cool about it is when you get down there, you recall it's like a baby UN when you walk down the Riverwalk in the summer. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you get people from all over the place going down there and just hanging out and and just sort of partaking in the city in a way that, well, of course, when we were kids, you couldn't go down to the riverfront. Exactly. It was all industrial and dirty and cement factories and all that sort of stuff. It's really, it's really changing. Uh, we should start off by uh, admitting how we know each other, Greg. Oh. Uh, I think this <laughs> is a great story. You want to take it back there? <laughs> That's right. This is, we can get in the Wayback Machine today. Right, right. Uh, the summer of 1990. Uh, I was a junior at the University of Michigan, and I got a great opportunity to be an intern at the Detroit Free Press. And I show up for work that first week, and there is another guy there, uh, <laughs> also an intern, Greg right. Bowens. Uh, you were an intern in the business department. I was. That was an amazing time. It was know? a great summer. It really I mean, was. There was a lot of stuff going on in the city that summer. It was really crazy. And I, I remember our internship sort of being swept up in some of it. That was the summer of uh, of the 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 revolutions in in Russia the mm-hmm. the, the, the pushback against communism all that sort of thing and uh, you know and there was and there was one of the stories that I did when we were interns on the business desk was the uh, revitalization of black businesses in the city and young black <laughs> entrepreneurs. There you go. So, right? Some things never change. I know, exactly, right? right? Yeah, so, right. I mean, so it was like Karen Dumas, <laughs> you know, who's gone on to great fame yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, the lady that runs Spectacles, Zaina. Uh-huh. Spectacles right. down there. And then Direction Salon, which is also TV, which used to be another another bar. And so... <laughs> that's how long ago yeah. you know it was and it was an amazing time and what Steve isn't telling you is that he won intern of the year uh, by one vote by one vote and <laughs> I didn't know that I mean the, the, it's a testament to the kind of person you are Greg it's, that you didn't say anything after that happened I would have I would have uh, acknowledged that and said, "Hey, well, uh, you know, I, you know, I had no idea I was going to be intern of the year, but, uh, but no, it was great, and I think it was. I think they they 
I think they made the right choice. <laughs> oh, that's very big in of doing to that. Say. And uh, uh, and I'm just happy to have been I in always, the same internship class. Yeah. Well, when I think about my career, I always sort of think uh, of the people that I started it with, and of course, you're you're one of them. So I'm I'm glad that you're here with me today. Uh, let's start off talking about something that I think is a really strange story that I saw this week from Lansing. Second Amendment Day at the state capitol. Mm. A bunch of people show up uh, to make their point about uh, how important the Second Amendment is to them. And they bring their guns with them. And they can bring their guns into the capitol and sit in the chamber. But if you have a message you want to get to legislators, if you're a protester or somebody who's got something to say, and you have a sign, you make a poster... You are not allowed to bring that inside the Capitol. So guns allowed, signs not. It's one of those weird sort of uh, wrinkles that uh, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't. And it's interesting because when that happened, it, it reminded me that we've been celebrating the uh, the anniversary of the formation of the Black Panther Party. Yes. And remember how they, in Oakland, uh-huh. was it in Oakland? They yeah. went to the state capitol with their guns. With their guns, which, which inspired changes in the laws in California. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the, Ronald Reagan, who was the governor of California at that point, freaked out, switched his <laughs> position on gun control and, and uh, guns in public places based on the Black Panthers showing up with guns. Maybe that's what we need to do here. <laughs> you know? What are you saying, Greg? Are you saying just, that, that if a bunch of African-Americans showed up in Lansing with guns, that there would be a different response? I think so, particularly if a, <laughs> if a bunch of uh, people of Arabic descent showed up, they would really freak <laughs> they out. They would really you know? freak out. It would be the end of Second Amendment Day. Exactly. Exactly. The, exactly. Capital, Which be could funny. be a good way to make a point. You know, I'm, 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 I, I love a good protest. Yeah. yeah. As you know. Yeah. Well, Which, you know, led to. I, the, you know, I'm not begrudging anybody their right. Second Amendment rights. I mean, I, I have a problem with guns. I don't love them, uh, but I get that uh, we have a constitution that protects your right uh, to do that. I guess here, my my objection would be to the fact that you can't take a sign in. I mean, if, if we're going to allow people to exercise their Second Amendment rights that way, I don't see what the the limitation on First Amendment rights is is about. Actually, I mean, I know what it's about. It's about sure. suppressing protests. Exactly. But, uh, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if we're going to honor one amendment, we ought to honor both of them. Um, so we really know. should. I hadn't really I hadn't really paid attention, paid much attention to the uh, Second Amendment Day, (laughs) as it were. uh, You know, you're probably not a big uh, gun enthusiast, I'm guessing. No, not so much. (laughs) So maybe that's not not your thing. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Greg Bowens, a public relations and political consultant uh, here in town, a good friend of mine for a long time. We're talking about the week's news. Uh, Greg, there was also a story this week about lead being found in water in Detroit public schools, which of course I think gets people even more exercise these days because of what's going on in Flint, the idea that the water supply might not be as clean as we think it is. Uh, you've been in Detroit for a long time. Does mm-hmm. it surprise you that, that, that we found it? I mean, I guess I, I saw the story and thought, well, you know, there's old pipes, there's old infrastructure everywhere in the state of Michigan, especially in the city of Detroit and especially in urban places like Detroit. I don't think we've seen the last of 
water supplies that get tainted with with lead, given the number of uh, lead pipes we have. It it didn't surprise me that they found lead. What surprised me was that it took them so long to test for it. I thought that that was something that they do, you know, on an annual basis when they're going through the schools and making sure everything is safe for children to return in the fall. It just Uh seems like that they would do annual testing of the pipes to make sure that kids aren't getting poisoned. And so... Uh, uh, so I was surprised that they weren't doing annual testing. The other thing that I, I thought about was, well, you know what? If I was the governor, if I was on the governor's PR team, I would be saying we need to test all over the state and other schools so you that we can broaden, yeah. you know, the perspective on the poisoning in Flint. I know it's not going to take, you know, away from from what happened in Flint, but yeah. at the same time, we could use this as a foil to maybe make some greater changes and take some of the attention. Are, are you surprised by? The way that the governor still seems reluctant to sort of get out front and champion some of the the, the issues that that are coming up here. I mean, uh, there's no question. You know, this is a huge, huge hit to his uh, to his leadership, and you know, a lot of people think he ought to resign. Certainly, if he had to run again, uh, uh, that would be a, a real challenge. But the other side of that is that this is an opportunity to really get out there and start talking about. The things that need to be fixed, the the infrastructure problem that we have, uh, as you point out, maybe saying let's test all the water in in schools to make sure that there's not something else mm-hmm. like that. It, it, he seems still on the defensive rather than taking sort of a proactive approach. You know, I've I've been in crisis situations with the mayor, with former mayor Dennis Archer mm-hmm. and other clients before, and one of the things that it becomes hard to do is to not insulate yourself in a bubble. Uh, Sometimes you you really just have to go and talk to the people and face the music and give them an opportunity to vent in a way that they otherwise haven't had. And they know the governor can't fix everything. But if they know that somebody's listening to them, that if the governor is listening to them, then it could go a long way to them feeling or restoring some confidence in government. He's not a people person. No. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, I've met him on one or two occasions. Um, and I've gotten to know him pretty well. I, feel, I was with you one time. Years. Yep, that's right. right. Yep. And uh, and he's not that that big, warm, friendly, hug you. You know, everything's going to be all right kind of personality. Yeah. Well, and and that's okay, I suppose, in some political circumstances. But, but I mean, as somebody who's worked in politics, mm-hmm. I mean that that is part of the job. I mean, there there are situations where you have to sort of draw on that just human connection that you have with people in exactly. order in order to to, to 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 get through stuff and i'm not sure he he has that in him even uh, i don't see anything in his background that suggests that he would i mean he did found a successful company you know that went on uh to put a computer in every in every den <laughs> as right, it were right and uh, uh but at the same time we haven't seen him get out and advance any causes Let's talk about, you know, causes. Pick pick your cause, whether right. it's cancer research or children or whatever it is. He's not that he has not been the kind of politician that runs out there and says, we're going to address this health issue in a way that uh, 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 that brings more resources and, and a sense of caring to yeah. the community. Yeah. Well, and the Flint that. thing, he just can't connect. I mean, he, he, they're I, there are I, white I know, people in Flint. Right. <laughs> Why can't he connect? <laughs> Why can't he connect? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, I know that he feels uh, he feels deeply about what has happened there. I mean, I sure. I, I How think could you I not? know. I think I know him well enough to say that, and that, that there's something genuine about that. But even when he's 
talking about that, uh, there's still a disconnect. I mean, it, 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 you don't you don't feel it from him mm-hmm. the way. I mean, you think about Jennifer Granholm. I mean, I had a lot of criticisms of her mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. governor, but one of the things she was absolutely great at was that human connection. Oh yeah, and it was. Uh, she turned it on when when she needed to, and it was always genuine. I mean, it is, she, she always. Uh, made sure you could feel what she was feeling. Right, uh, right. And I feel like Snyder just can't. He and can't she wasn't afraid to hug people. Yeah, she right, wasn't afraid right, to hug people. Right. You know, and that's and that this kind of situation does call for that. Imagine it what it would be like. I mean, if you or I or I can think of tons of people that go to that would go to Flint and hear, you know, a parent talking or a child, or if they went to the room where they were doing the lead testing for children. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I ran into Chastity Pratt Dossie and right after she had left and she was visibly, you know, How shaken you by be? it because they had to pierce the kids, yeah. you know, finger to get the blood. Yeah. And she said in that room, just imagine hundreds of kids crying. That, because, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. audio, that would be amazing. But that sort of put put it in perspective it's just a little pinprick i understand yeah. but all the things that it takes for that to happen all the resources that you got to put there and the parents and their concern and their worry and you know and then suddenly hear the kids crying the governor should have been at something like that yeah putting yeah. his arms around people he keeps saying you know i'm in flint i'm talking to people individually and i don't doubt that right that is true it's really different though to do that or to stand in front of a crowd or to to be with the people at community centers or the places that they're going to get water or right. get their right. kids tested i mean there there is a whole different side of re- the, the the cynical sort of uh, interpretation is retail retail politics right exactly uh, the, 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 that sort of street level connection that you got to do but there is also something quite genuine about that and and he's he's just not doing it and he's a father and a husband yes. you know what i'm saying i don't know if he's a grandfather he's a grandfather i don't think so yeah no. well so i mean but he so he if there's anybody that should be able to connect on an emotional level with parents it should be someone who was another who was parent a, who was a parent right yeah, yeah. and so yeah. but the back to the Tough schools to thing what what there was another the, the another irony at dps is is that they discover lead NDPS, which is under emergency management and has been so for so long. Yeah. And so the, to me, that would seem lead to another obvious question as to what has the emergency manager, <laughs> what emergency have they been doing? Lead in the water? <laughs> is that what you're saying, Greg? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, getting back to the value proposition that you've talked about before right, right. in relationship to at what point do we sacrifice money for safety? Sure. And, you know, when the trade, what makes the trade off not worth it anymore? And so if you have an emergency manager, in schools and they haven't been testing for lead and they're testing for lead now in the wake of what's happening with the governor and there's no doubt in my mind I don't have any evidence of it but you know common sense would say that there had to be an order that came down from the governor to Mr. Rhodes saying test the pipes test the water right right? yeah yeah. and so uh, uh, but the cuts that they've been making and we've seen uh, how this has impacted the schools, whether it was the ombudsman and they weren't able to catch the people stealing the money in yeah, time, right, you know, right, right. or whether it's the issue with the boilers and them trying to get rid of the boiler engineers and replace it with some kind of monitoring system. I mean, it's these decisions that are made are made without the benefit of public input. And I'm so happy to hear that folks are talking about changing the law in some way to allow for it. But it it goes beyond that. And I've really been focused Mm -hmm. uh, on the fact that the governor's 
urban policy and strategy doesn't go beyond emergency management. Right, right. right. I mean, and I've talked to him about this, I don't know, a dozen times since he's been elected, mm-hmm. that there are lots of things that cities need. There is a, 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 a dire need to sort of rethink the way we finance cities and yeah. the way we allow them to raise revenue themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a much bigger conversation than just about the emergency manager law and the governor is the person who should be leading that conversation, I think. Oh, right. Uh, but he pushes back every time and says, mm-hmm. you know, these are the tools I think we need. We're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, mm-hmm. now we're finding out that those tools themselves have limitations that don't even achieve the thing. That mean they, it's not even achieving the things that he thought they were achieving. But fixing that is just the beginning. It's also getting him to start thinking about what else. what else can we do for cities other than Deal with them through emergency management. How right. about uh, talking about Prop A and Headley, uh, the, exactly. the limitations on tax revenue growth. Let's talk about revenue sharing and how it has changed over 20 years, uh, diminished to the point where mm-hmm. it's not doing the things that it's supposed to do. Let's talk about taking how, what the effect of taking the personal property tax away was on city. I mean, these are all things that have put cities in really bad situations so that, you know, like in Flint, they're sitting around talking about saving money on clean water, and they should and they should lift the cap on the ability for cities to grow to, to grow, expand sure. their borders. That's right. That's you know, right. Uh, that d- it just doesn't make any sense anymore that Detroit has Highland Park, you know, surrounded by Detroit in right. it, and Hamtramck right. right next door, and it was state law that prevented, you know, the cities from being able to combine themselves. Right. And, and clearly, it, it was based. Race had a lot to do with that. Race I mean, has a lot to do with right. a lot of the, the municipal divisions that we have in in, in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. There are lots of little carve outs that were about either getting away from or <laughs> getting black people away right, uh, right. from from majority populations. And uh, you know, an accounting of that would even push us closer to uh, to talking about it. And, this, and don't forget about the funding for the schools. Yeah, you right. Need to stabilize right. that same, as well. Same kind of uh, same kind of issue. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDETM. Stephen Henderson, my guest, is Greg Bowens, a public relations consultant, an old friend of mine here in Detroit. We're talking about the week's news. Mark in Ferndale, you've got a point to make here. Mark, welcome to Detroit <laughs> yeah. Today. Hi, guys. Yeah, I agree with uh, largely what you're saying, and I think um, – from like a, a real politique perspective, um, the governor could be using this as an opportunity to, to, to discuss our entire crumbling infrastructure. I mean, I just got on 75 from 8 Mile and my, <laughs> the undercarriage of my car is... to say, are all your gone. fillings still intact? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, but I mean, I want to make it clear, I'm not comparing my car to some kid's life, you know, which is not, uh, you know, it's not... I'm not making light or whatever. I guess I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it, but I just think he could, you know, obviously poisoning people is clearly a bit more severe than the damage to my car. But uh, I just think he could maybe spin it all into one and just say, look, we want to look like this to the entire nation. We're poisoning our kids and our cars are falling apart. Um, anyway, thanks. Uh, yeah, no, uh, thank thanks you. very much for that call, uh, Mark. Uh, Greg, before I uh, before I let you go, I'm sure. going to talk about something that you're involved in now that I think is really interesting. Uh, you've been part of the effort to start a 
NAACP branch or chapter mm-hmm. in Gross Point of all places. I know. It's, it's <laughs> Every been... time I say it, I sort of giggle a little bit. I'm like, Gross Point NAACP. Who would have thunk? Gross Point Harper Woods NAACP. Right, right. You know? Even better, right? <laughs> no, this, this, this effort came about last fall when I got a call from a retired uh, social worker, Elaine Flowers. He started out as a, as a Detroit police officer. Uh-huh. Became a social worker, and she had moved to Port Huron and spent many years there working with the NAACP in Port Huron. She retired, came back, uh, and moved to Gross Point and uh, wanted to do some uh, some some programming for kids around race and reconciliation. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there was no there was no NAACP or no mechanism, to yeah, do that for her to there. do that. So she had called me up and said, "Hey, if I started the NAACP, would you?" be involved and I would you would you be involved I said sure a month passed nothing happened she called me back and said would you help me establish one I said sure (laughs) (laughs) and then it just sort of took off from from there when I started calling around to many of the same people that we know Uh who 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 are living quiet lives in the points and in Harper Woods and uh, I think that when I put the call out I put the call out as, look, there is enough room on the side of righteousness for everybody. There are enough good people in the points in Harper Woods to form an NAACP branch. Come and get down. Half the people that showed up were white. <laughs> you know, we have about 200 people now, and uh, and it's very diverse. And it, 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 the, the, the leadership is diverse. And what I am surprised at, when I looked around the room, I saw Davis Midra, who worked for Archer. Uh-huh. I saw uh, Cynthia Douglas, who worked for Archer. I saw uh, Edwina Henry, who worked for Archer, and I did. And there were many people who were Archer supporters who were there, both black and white. And they had answered the call not only to join but to be part of leadership. They just said, whatever you want me to do. Yeah. And, it's, and, and when we talked about this and we thought about this, that was one of the cool things about Dennis Archer was that he would go from here to the UP to try and make friends with folks and bring down, you that know, really the walls. That really was a big part of the tenor of that administration was mm-hmm. that sort of reaching out uh, after so many decades of, of real animosity between oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, Outstate and, and Detroit. We the grew suburbs up with it. In Detroit. Absolutely. I mean, it was uh, he really sort of said, look, let's try mm-hmm. to move in a different in a different direction. So part of this is the Archer legacy from what yeah. I can see yeah. in terms of the leadership and what's been going on. So we had the regular elections for the uh, two-year term, which is a three-year term because we were kind of an off year. And so I've been elected president yeah, of the uh, of, of the branch and we are going to do a swearing in next on the 28th, uh, next Thursday, I believe that is. And I'm 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 gonna have lots of judges and Kathy Garrett's <laughs> gonna come and she's cool. gonna swear people in and I'm hoping to get the US attorney to come and speak about some of the efforts that the Justice Department takes in relationship to enforcing fair housing, yeah. uh, fighting against discrimination and things of that nature. We just sort of think of the Justice Department when it comes to, you know, yeah, putting the bad guys right. away, yeah. right. But they do a lot more and so I owe her a call. We talked about it at the Alpac meeting a couple of weeks ago. So that's, I mean, that's a really cool sign of progress, right? I think so. Uh, the, the, the idea that there are enough people of color, number one, mm-hmm. in Gross Point to, to say, hey, look, we, we ought to have an NAACP mm-hmm. chapter out here. But then also that, that welcoming of the idea by, uh, by white citizens out in, in, in Gross Point to say, hey, I, I, I'll be part of that too uh, because – uh, that's important. Well, I mean, the NAACP was founded by the descendants that's of right. white abolitionists, mm-hmm. 
you know, and originally in the, the home of Lincoln, Springfield, Illinois. And then they said, looked around the room and said, how are we going to have an NAACP without black people? <laughs> <need some> black <laughs> people. Where are all the black exactly. people? Exactly. <laughs> so like a year later, they're in New York and they're, you know, you've got like Du Bois and, and yeah. folks like that that are, that are part of, of what's going on. And so it has a long and strong legacy. And I was pleasantly surprised by the reaction of the national president coming here to Michigan, to Flint, to talk about what was needed and then coming out with a 20-point plan and uh, saying this is what needs to happen for the people in Flint, and we're here with you. And they have a very active NAACP branch in Flint. In Flint, yeah, sure. And and Hillary Clinton's coming, and she's talking to— you know the Detroit branch and uh, for the the Freedom Fund exactly, the, the Freedom and, and they are the premier branch in the state, and they have been so helpful and mm-hmm. so supportive in you know helping us start one in uh, Gross Point, along with the the state president Yvonne White, just yeah. unbelievably supportive. All right, well, good luck with that, uh, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and we'll have you keep back on doing what you're doing, man. Yeah. No, this is fun. And I want to invite you to come and speak to the Detroit branch. I, I mean, will the, do uh, that. the the Gross Point yeah, Harbor Woods that. branch. Give me a call. We'll appreciate and it. And we'll get it on the calendar. All Absolutely. right. Uh, Greg Bowen's uh, public relations consultant and good friend of mine. Thanks for being here on Detroit today. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, we'll hear from a National Book Award winner who uses her poetry to explore being a black woman here in America. Stay with us on Detroit today. <laughs> 